Ah, it's just so good to have this time uh, to focus on why God the Son became man. Why God the Son became man. And I know that uh, many of you look forward to Christmas each year. Uh, and it was kind of funny, and I don't know if you felt this as we got closer to Christmas. Uh, maybe just not feeling it. You know, it's kind of a long, strange, sad, different year, and maybe just haven't felt it. Well, as we focus on what God accomplished as God the Son became man, um, I think it'll be thrilling to our hearts. Each year, the magazine Time chooses a person of the year who is then displayed on the magazine cover. And as I reflected on this morning's text, I thought that the Grim Reaper could have been an appropriate choice for 2020. I can imagine death personified bleakly as a skeleton, its head creepily shrouded in a black hood, his scythe extended across the magazine cover bordered by the classic red bars. In 2020, countries united to evade death, to hold death back. Especially in the early days of, of, of the coronavirus pandemic, every conceivable measure was taken to avoid contracting COVID-19. But the goal was the same. It was to stop the Grim Reaper from making a house call. People in those early days were passing packages under UV light, wands to, to, to kill the virus. People washed their hands raw. And even now, after so many, uh, after so many precautions, and after the medical professionals have learned so much about treating uh, COVID-19, doctors and nurses across Southern California scramble, even right now, to care for the rapidly increasing number of COVID-19 patients, trying to limit, limit death's harvest to as few souls as possible. This morning, residents of Southern California, you've seen it in the newspapers, worry that there won't be hospital beds available when a loved one gets COVID-19, or really they face any kind of life-threatening condition. For many, 2020, more than any other year in, in, in memory, at least in the United States, has been dominated by delaying death. Whether from messing with our homes, or trying to forestall him from consuming our most at-risk members, of family members or neighbors. But for others, death has come in different ways. In a sense, it's shadow longer, but no less oppressive feeling. Death's presence has been felt in time wasted. Time we could have been out of our houses enjoying life. Time visiting aging relatives. Time traveling, experiencing, enjoying life with our rapidly growing kids. Time making money to pay pressing bills. Time eating out, keeping our favorite local restaurants open. And all of those are good things. 
Perhaps if our days on earth were, were, were infinite, we would feel less concerned as these quarantine months zoom past. But death will come for us too. And so we kind of buck against the, the, the monotony. Right? We're eager to experience life. And death has put us in this holding pattern. As we quickly approach a year of COVID-19 affecting America, many feel that this shadow of death has kind of stolen a year that belonged to us. Like, that was our year. And some are no longer willing to wait, alarmed at what they've lost. Others stay inside concerned what they might lose or worse, what they might take from another. So clearly, that mythical person, the Grim Reaper, could be a good candidate for the person of the year, more than in any year that I've lived through. We end every year with a focus on the birth of Christ. But this year, I'm particularly thankful for God's providential timing. God's word reveals how God the Son's becoming man is God's promised response to Satan's power of death and our fear of death. God's antidote, antidote to death is Jesus Christ. And when Christmas comes, Christians turn their attention to what God's word says about the birth of Jesus. And if you're joining with us uh, online this morning, Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus at the time of Christmas. And even really, our celebration really goes back from his birth to what happened nine months prior when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, as Hyun read about this morning in Matthew 1. I'm going to read just a few passages that show that this is the unified teaching of God's word of God, the Son, becoming man. The Apostle Paul speaks of Christ becoming flesh, the God, the Son, becoming flesh in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7. Though he was in the form of God, didn't mean just, just, just he had the outside shape of God, but he had the essential quality of God. Though he was in the form of God, the attributes of God, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, be held on to for his own use. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Apostle John begins the Gospel of John, the good news about God the Son in John 1.1. 1, 1. In, in the beginning was the Word. That's referring to God the Son. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John continues in John 1 verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And that's what, what we celebrate at Christmas. God the Son becoming flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. God's word declares the, the, the mystery that at the conception of Jesus, the Son of God became man. The infinite God became that, 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 that embryo. The creator fused to himself creation and the immortal became mortal. That first day when Jesus was born, the eternal word wailed that baby's first cry and the sovereign of the universe was suckled by his mother Mary and the changeless was humbly changed. 
As we look in the book of Hebrews this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15. The author of Hebrews has this same high view of the Son of God. We see it as how he opens up in Hebrews 1 verses 2 and 3. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It is through God the Son that this world was created. God the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his, the exact imprint of his nature. Who could say that about a man? And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God the Son upholds us with the word of his power. It's amazing. But then, listen to what this morning's passage says about God the Son in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And, and he explains why God became man. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. As we focus on the birth of Christ this year, we're going to answer a, a simple question on uh, the Sundays, both side of Christmas, both this Sunday and next Sunday. Be, we'll be focusing on Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. This morning, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Why did God become man? Why did deity join himself to humanity? The book of Hebrews was most likely written to Jews who were tempted to return to Judaism to avoid the persecution and hardships that was facing Christians. And to go back to Judaism in many ways sounded tempting. It sounded appealing as Christians increasingly suffered. The author of Hebrews, whose, whose identity remains a mystery, oh, there's, there's lots of speculation, writes this sermon. That's really what Hebrews is. It's a sermon. So that these Christians would not leave Christ for something less than Christ. When, when Christ is as amazing as he is, when Christ is all who he is, you can't leave Christ for something less than Christ. And that's why the book of Hebrews is written, so that they wouldn't go backwards. They wouldn't return to something inferior to Christ. From Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 this morning, we're going to see two reasons why God became man. So that you will hope in Christ when you fear death's presence. Whether immediate, like, oh no, something bad's going to happen today and I'm afraid. Or just far off and, and, and you sense a certain futility of, of, of life as the days are just flying by. And what have you done with them? And what have you accomplished? And you feel that squeeze of time. So we're going to see two reasons why God became man, so that you will hope in Christ when you fear death's presence, whether immediate or far off. Hebrews 2.14 begins, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Now, children is just another way here of referring to humans. From the sixth day of creation to today, every human has shared in flesh and blood. There have been no exceptions. No one can choose to opt out of either of those. But when speaking of Jesus, the author of Hebrews switches verb tense when, 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 when he switches to that verb, to that verb uh, partook. And he does so, he switches tense to draw attention to Jesus being different. 
he's, He's making it obvious in Greek. Something different happened there. Jesus likewise partook of the same things. And these words would be utterly meaningless if Jesus weren't supernatural. If Jesus didn't pre-exist, why would you say he likewise partook of the same things? These these words would be meaningless if Jesus weren't supernatural and pre-existent. Because humans are flesh and blood, because we all have that in common, the Son of God became flesh and blood. But that doesn't explain why. Why did God take on weakness and suffering and these limitations of flesh and blood? Why did the infinitely rich become poor, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, 9? Well, let's look at the first reason why the Son of God became man. The first reason why God became man is to destroy the devil, right? To destroy Satan. We see that in verse 14. The first reason why God became man is to destroy the devil, Hebrews 2.14, the second half says that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The Greek word for destroy can mean to make something non-existent, to, 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 to annihilate it. But it can also mean to render powerless. And the, true, and the, the same thing is true of the English word, word destroy. If the Lakers destroy the Clippers on Tuesday, it doesn't mean that the Clippers cease existing. But it means that they were so ineffective as to be powerless against the Lakers. They were destroyed. I don't know if that's going to happen. I know some of you hope it does. Some of you don't. When Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil, he didn't obliterate Satan. He didn't flicker him out of existence with a snap of his fingers. The Bible confirms that Satan is still active, though only for a temporary time. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus destroyed Satan by taking away his power of death. As we'll see, Jesus, he he, he disarmed Satan. Jesus removed his weapon of death. He, he diffused his ticking time bomb of death. Now, Satan never had power to take a human life. Only God does, as it says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. Our days have been numbered by God, not by Satan. They're, they're, they're written in God's book. Psalm 139, verse 16. But Jesus does say of Satan in John 8, verse 44. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is an, an, an assassin and he's trained in the art of deceit. He uses lies to murder. Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He he deceived them, tempting them to doubt God's goodness, tempting them to break God's command, and and tempting them to ignore God's promised consequences. Genesis 3, 4, and 5, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. It's completely opposite of what God said. 
So he lies, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he lies about God, saying that God is not looking out for your good, but, but, but God is, is really kind of trying to guard himself. He's trying to protect himself here. So he lies about God. Adam and Eve listened to Satan's lies and in so doing consigned humanity to a death sentence. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And there Satan accomplished his plot in the garden, in his war on God's glory. And that's what Satan was doing, was assaulting God's glory. Satan wanted man to break God's law so that God would curse rebellious man. His plot was to get man to disobey God so that man would be destroyed, that God would act in judgment. And that's what happened. Satan lied and humanity died. Like a game of Clue, Satan committed murder in the garden with a lie. Satan has continued to use God's law against man by, 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 by twisting it. He also uses it, as we see in Scripture, as an accuser. Satan is the accuser crying out for God to hold man accountable for his law-breaking. Satan wants God to hold his law-breaking creatures accountable. Zechariah 3.1 describes this scene. Um, where, where, where Zechariah in a vision, he says, uh, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That Satan is there accusing the high priest saying, and, and the idea being, hold this person accountable. Judge him according to your law. God, look, he deserves death. Israel deserves death. Satan's character and schemes are summarized well in Revelation 12, verses 9 and 10. Describes that ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. For the accuser, and, and describes him as the accuser of our brothers, and this is what happens after Christ's death, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That is what, 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 what Satan's method of, of operation is, is to accuse people that they've broken God's law so that God judges them. And that's what Satan's goal is, our death. Satan's power of death was manipulating humanity, kind of luring them into the firing line of God's just execution. But by becoming man, God the Son Jesus Christ has obliterated Satan's power through death. It says in Hebrews 2.14, Through death he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death. By becoming man, Christ took on human nature. A nature able to be killed. But it was also a nature able to represent humanity. By becoming man... Christ resisted Satan's lies. By becoming man, Christ perfectly kept God's law. By becoming man, Christ satisfied God's demands for justice through his substitutionary death. 
And now, if Satan were to accuse those who believed in him, Christ says, those who believe in me are mine. I purchased them with my blood. I kept the law they couldn't keep. I paid the penalty they couldn't pay. My death has satisfied the Father's justice. And the proof of, the proof of my Father's pleasure is my resurrection. I live so they'll live. Satan sought to use God's justice against God's creatures. But when the faultless Christ willingly took the fall for our willful, willful rebellion, Christ disarmed Satan. Now Satan is still threatening. He's waving around a gun. But Christ has taken, has taken out the ammunition from the gun. Satan, the accuser, will love to, to pound God's law books in fury, saying they deserve judgment. But God, the judge, has pronounced his people not guilty. That's what it means to be justified through faith, to be pronounced not guilty. They are righteous before me. Satan has been disarmed through the death of Christ, and that is why God the Son became man. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because God wanted us to be part of his family. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that is what the hearts of those who have been saved by God's grace cry out. Abba, Father, we know God, who was once our judge as our father. Without God becoming man, Satan wins. Without God becoming man, the shattered image of God in man has no possibility of redemption. Every one, every single one of God's image bearers would, would, could only become an eternal wrath bearer. But God the Son did become a man to destroy the devil. Satan is no accusation to toss against those who hope in Christ because Christ was punished in their place. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Don't let the wrath of God remain on you. Don't let the wrath of God remain on you. Believe in his Son. The promise is whoever believes has eternal life. If you are not yet right, if God's wrath, wrath is still resting on you, run to him. Throw all of your hope on God's Son, saying, I need him to take the punishment that I deserve. That's what happened on the cross. I believe that he took my place. That is why God the Son became man took on flesh and blood was to destroy the power of the devil. And the second reason is closely tied to the first. The second reason why God became man, we'll see this in verse 15, is to deliver from fear. He took on flesh and blood to destroy the devil. He also became man to deliver from fear. It says in Hebrews 2.15, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Despite what many say, and, and you hear this a lot, death is not natural. God did not create the human soul to be split from the body. 
God did not design souls for hell. Humans are right to fear death. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I was speaking to someone this week who said that they were afraid to die, and rightly so. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 12.29 describes God as a consuming fire. When facing eternal judgment, death is terrifying. It ought to be. It's the beginning of endless punishment at the hands of an eternally, and, and it's incredible, an eternally offended God. He's, he, he's, he's not going to feel better about your sin after a billion years. He's an eternally offended, all-powerful sovereign. That endless punishment is the just punishment of, of all your idolatrous thoughts, all of your godless words, all of your lawless actions. It's the fair punishment for all we deserve, for all that we knew that we should have done, but we left undone. It's the righteous punishment for giving our affections, our love to God's creation rather than to Him, the Creator. The timer on your life is running down. The hourglass sands are piling up. And there's not enough time to right your wrongs. Every day the list of offenses continues to grow. And you have no power in yourself, by yourself, to erase a single one. And judgment is coming more certain than either dusk or dawn. The sun someday will run out of fuel. Right? It'll be extinguished, but God's wrath will never be extinguished. Unless it's extinguished on his son. We fear death because we know we deserve judgment. And, 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 and some people, maybe some of you watching from a home, say, oh, no, I don't. No, God's word says we know we deserve judgment. Listen to what Romans 1.32 says. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval of those who practice them. They know that we, we know that we deserve death. And that's why we fear death. God's law has been written on our hearts. Our conscience bears witness, and sometimes we try to accuse others. Sometimes we try to excuse ourselves, but God's law is written on our conscience. This is why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 2 verse 15 says, we are subject to lifelong slavery through the fear of death. Death is like a slave master, arm raised, whip ready to thrash our backs. And humans know when his arm comes crashing down, there is no cowering, right? There's no hope it won't strike. It will. And so what does humanity do? Humanity spends its days futilely trying to escape this fear through godless means. The certainty of death is, is a storm cloud over human existence. And many try to avoid the gloom of this oncoming storm by huddling with man-made candles. You know, you see the storm cloud coming and you're sitting there with a candle and it might be a candle of your accomplishments, a candle of pleasure, a candle of entertainment, the glow of the smartphone. 
You try to enjoy the, the faint light that those things give while waiting for death to swallow. Some people instead try to stuff their pockets with good works so that when it comes time to give an account to God, they, they're kind of hoping that in God's scales of justice, although they, they, when they come before him and they see is horribly weighed down with a lifetime of sin and of selfishness and of not honoring God or giving him thanks, and, and the scales are horribly weighted down. They, they, they kind of hope to reach in their pockets and bring out some good deeds to kind of off balance, and may, maybe I'll be able to get it in my favor, but that it won't work. as if God could be bought, as if God could ignore justice, as if God could suddenly become unjust and not punish. The futile plan of some is that you're going to be able to try to purify yourself in the flames of, pure, of purgatory. It's not taught in Scripture. The fear of death corrupts everything. And this is an appropriate way. This is, this is a, maybe a strange Christmas message for some of you. This is an appropriate way to end 2020. The fear of death corrupts everything. Death is, is like a spider. It's scurrying between your shoulder blades. You know it's there. And you can't reach it. You, you, you try to live with a tickling. Trying to ignore it as much as you can. And sometimes you can forget about it for a while but you're caught in death's web. Life in a sin-cursed world is like going to the grocery store and buying already moldy fruit. And it's the only thing there. You come into life, you get moldy fruit. You know it's going to go bad, but it's all you have. And so we try to avoid this fact either by trying to eat as much of that moldy fruit as we can stomach, and we do that by, by plunging ourselves into all kinds of, of sin and selfish pursuits. Right? We, 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 try to, we try to savor as much of this, this corrupt life as we can. Or we try to stave off the corruption of this life. By, we try to clean it up. We try, we try to polish our moldy fruit. We try to prune it where we can, but it's still rotten from the inside. Every look in the mirror reveals how how empty our attempts are, right? Every time we go past, we're older, we're older, we're older. Death is coming, it's coming for us. Life's fruit has been poisoned by sin and death. Death is biding its time, but all is not bad news. And that's what we get to rejoice in as we celebrate Christmas this week. All is not bad news. God the Son partook of flesh and blood. The Son of Man became the Son of God became man so that through death, Jesus might deliver. He might loose us. All those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, we are right to fear. And some of you here this morning are listening at home. You're right to fear. You are living under God's curse. That's what it says, Galatians 3.10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If we don't have perfect obedience, we are under a curse. But God, in his great mercy, had a plan. And as soon as Satan destroyed man in that garden by, by lying and by utilizing God's law to bring God's justice upon God's creatures... 
God made a promise in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you, snake, serpent, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he, that offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You will strike at him, at the Son of Man, but he will crush your head. God diverted his curse away from us and onto his Son, Jesus Christ. As it says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that's what happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross at Calvary. He became cursed in our place so that we don't have to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I can't repeat this verse every week, but it's so good. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, the perfect sinless Jesus so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God had pity on those in slavery to the fear of death, who were waiting for death's whip to fall on their back. And that death's whip fell on the back of Jesus Christ instead. God's son became man so that death's strike would lash his innocent back in our place. That's why, that's why Jesus was born in that manger. That's why Mary conceived by the Spirit. He was cursed so we would live. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no reason to fear death. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have been rescued from this fear. When we need dental work done, we may not look forward to the actual pain of going to the dentist right? But we look forward to the relief after. It's natural, we in this humans, we don't look forward to the actual process of dying. Oh, but the eternal relief that will follow. We have no reason to fear death. Romans 8, 22 verses 25 promises the relief that is coming. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. That's what COVID-19 is. It's all of creation groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. Much worse than a toothache. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. Those who, who have God's confidence of God's reconciliation and adoption and redemption. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly. This has been a year of groaning as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. And then he continues, if hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we're waiting. This has been a year of groaning. A year of groaning for God to keep that promise. But we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. We know redemption is coming. As the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 58, and as we sang, as Brother Jeremy led us, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, which is what Satan used against us. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Because Christ is the victory, because we don't fear death, because the, the sting of death is gone. Therefore, my beloved brothers, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, those who know that Satan has been destroyed, 
Those who know that death has been defeated are liberated to work for Christ and to wait for his return. We work for Christ and we wait for his return. That, that is what we're doing here. We don't fear death. By becoming man and by dying in the place of sinners, Christ was able to loose us from slavery to the fear of death. So saints, are you living free? Are you living free from the fear of death? And I don't mean, have you all tossed away your masks? We're not talking about that. I mean, have you found the liberty of loving God and of loving, love, uh, loving others, of serving like Christ served, of, of, of being human like Jesus was human? That's what being liberated from the fear of death is. It is not to save our lives, to use them for ourselves, but to serve others and give our lives for them. Jesus was born of Mary to transform the way you live. See, we have a short window to demonstrate to the world where our hope is. John 11, 25 to 26, and this is what Jesus says uh, uh, at the death of Lazarus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What mind-blowing words, right? No human would get away with that. What audacity. Jesus is God the Son. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Saints, knowing Christ the resurrection and the life will change the way you wear that mask. Right? It changes the way you wear it. It doesn't mean that you, you toss them aside, but it changes the way you wear it and where your hope is. Christ is our resurrection and our life. So have you been liberated from slavery to the fear of death? Have you been liberated? I want you to be free from slavery to the fear of death. Does your life demonstrate that Satan's power has been destroyed? It won't be seen in reckless living. Okay? It won't be seen in reckless living like, you know, I'm not afraid of death. No more seatbelts. It will be seen in sacrificial living. It will be seen in sacrificial living. And helping others know the liberating power of Jesus Christ. God become man. If we have lost friends and family, this is the good news they need to hear, right? In this, in this year where, where, where death has, has been over everything, right? Where you daily see the count of how many people die of COVID-19. Then you realize, wow, that's just, that's just a drop in the bucket of all the deaths. Are you living in this sacrificial way, helping others be liberated by Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. And this is one way we glorify God in the body is using this freedom that Christ has given us to be slaves of those around us, to serve them so that they know the freedom from the slavery of the fear of death that is in Christ. Joe Biden and and, and Kamala Harris were chosen by time to be the person of the year. But there is a far better candidate. 
It is not the vaccine, the vaccine developers, excuse me, or pharmaceutical companies that have developed the COVID-19 vaccine. It's not the medical professionals, though I think that that'd be a better candidate for the person of the year to make that cover. But the best candidate in this year dominated by COVID-19, you know who it is. And this year dominated by the fear of death is the one who conquered death through death, right? That's amazing. Conquered death through death, God the Son, God become man, Jesus Christ. The world united in a really unique way. And I know it felt like a very splintered year and it still does. But the world united to fight death in 2020, especially in the early days of COVID-19. But the real battle was fought 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ destroyed the devil and liberated those who were enslaved through the fear of death. Have you been rescued from the fear of death by believing in Jesus Christ? He would have you be rescued. As he said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you Believe this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, we are, are, are blown away by the big picture of Scripture and by this amazing plan and by your great grace that this morning we are, we are, we are able to even hear these words, Lord. Father, that's your grace. You could have left us. There are those who've never heard the gospel. Lord, we didn't deserve to even hear this, Lord. Father, I pray for those here this morning uh, who are afraid of dying. I pray, Lord, that they would put their hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if they've never, if they've never really believed, Lord, may they totally throw themselves on your grace. May, 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 they, may they trust in Christ's perfect righteousness in their place. I pray, Father, for those of us who, who, are, who, are, who are afraid of the, of the tick of death and who feel guilty for, for lives wasted. I pray, Father, that you would help them increasingly to trust in Christ's righteousness in their place. I pray, Father, for those of us who have been liberated from this fear, who are confident that Satan has been destroyed, that we would be freed in, in, in new ways to live sacrificially, to live lives of service, to, to bring this good news of why God partook of flesh and blood. Oh, we thank you for this, for this work. We thank you that your spirit is working in our hearts. Uh, for some of us crying out, Abba, Father, but we pray, Lord, that you would, you would quicken those who have not yet been saved. Uh, thank you for your great plan of redemption in really what has been a dark year. In Jesus' name, amen.